Hey goblins, Brandon here. Welcome to part two of our interview with Joe Donka, creator of The End, the 1995 Christian Apocalypse role-playing game that was banned from Gen Con. This is essentially part three of our Joe Donka trilogy, so if you haven't already, be sure to go back and listen to our January 10th episode where we discuss the game for the first time, and then go back and listen to the first part of our interview on March 28th. We're so grateful to Joe for taking the time out of his day to talk to us and share stories about this fascinating and unique property he created. I had a smile on my face the entire time I was sitting here editing this last night. I decided I'm not even going to put time codes in it because this episode is such a fun interview that you should really listen to the whole thing. Obviously, there's some mature themes discussed here, maybe a little bit more so than last week, so keep that in mind as you're listening. If you have anyone you'd like for us to try and get a hold of for an interview, just let us know on the Discord, bit.ly slash goblin discord, or you can email via contact at goblinsandgrowlers.com. I'll ask them. The worst they can tell us is no. Uh, in the meantime, be sure to tell your friends about the podcast, like, share, subscribe, all that. Also, please consider giving us a five-star review. Those really help grow the podcast. I'll pop back in at the end, but in the meantime, please enjoy part two of our journey into the mind of Joe Donka. It picks up in media res right where we left off last time. Enjoy. Yeah, it would definitely be nice if artists were treated, I don't know, like a like a like a profession and not like something where you have to market it as hard as you physically can to make any success. No, that would be nice. I want to talk a little bit about, you know, you mentioned uh, Joseph Tierney, your friend, uh, just a few minutes ago. And I want to talk about the second edition of The End uh, and sort of how he plays into that. Because when we were doing our research, he was a name that we keyed off on that seemed to be more associated with the second edition of the end that I think was around like early 2000s. And it took us an embarrassingly long time to realize tyranny and tyranny are two words that sound alike. Yeah, uh, that <laughs> game is after the two people who are most involved, their brothers, uh, Joe and Martin Tierney. Um, I went to school with Joe and uh, well, you all mentioned you th you wondered if there was another manuscript somewhere on a shelf that mm -hmm. was near done. Actually, that's how this story with tyranny with uh, tyranny started. Yeah, um, like I say, the game came out in '95, languished because I was sick and getting back on my feet, and around 1998, I started toying with the idea of a relaunch. And I was going to fix all the problems I had with the original version. For example, I never really did the system any justice because well, I didn't really much care about that. That was Shane's part of the game. But I was going to go back to what it should have been. I was going to write it better. And I came up with the idea of doing it as a prestige kind of thing. The new version of the end was going to look exactly like a Gideon Bible. Ooh. Uh, complete with chapter and verse uh, numbers. It was going to have that leatherette cover. Instead of the little Gideon symbol, there's going to be the little goat head for scapegoat. Oh, my God. That's and such a good idea. In what I thought was my most blasphemous idea so far, I was going to have Holy Bible stamped on it and have it crossed out uh, and the end written in ragged letter or stamped in gold letters underneath it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it was going to be just so very, very blasphemous. I hope your marketing plan for this included surreptitiously going into hotels and putting it in drawers. Yes. We were going to do that during Gen Cons, yes. <laughs> you talk I, about courting controversy, geez. <laughs> well, I mean, I like I said, I did a lot to court controversy. Uh, the fact that it's an adult book, the fact that it was shrink wrap for mature readers only the fact that you know i really was as blasphemous and heretical as i could possibly be <laughs> yeah yeah um, like you i mean the disclaimer in the first edition is half a page long uh you know that's just basically boils down to like hey you're making the choice to read this make sure you're mature enough to do it well and like i say because there's nudity in the book because there are adult themes we sold it shrink wrapped with a big gold sticker that says mature readers only. 
Um, so we weren't, I wasn't shy about courting controversy and the new version, uh, the Gideon Bible version was something I worked on for a couple of years and I was very, very proud of it. Problem was I was never going to have the money to bring out a product like that. I, I just knew it. I, I had always sort of struggled with money and the moment for the end when it was really hot had kind of gone past. So I wondered what was ever going to happen to this product. And my friend Joe Tierney had decided to open his own game company. He was putting on a game called Sack Armies, which is a really cool little product. Um, and he was pretty well funded. So I offered him the end as a product line. I figured I'll continue working on it with him. The game can come out. It can be a thing, even if it's not owned by me. Just to keep it going. Yeah, because I had this product that I was really proud of that I'd worked on, and I was pretty much ready to go. So I offered it, and, you know, I say he's a good friend. He said, of course, he'd love to do it. And we started working together, and here came the second uh, real issue with the end. I was very devoted to it, to the new version I had come up with. Joe was also very Catholic growing up, and he had never lost his faith, so he was a little uncomfortable with my level of blasphemy. Mm -hmm. And he did want to tone it down some. Okay, that was an argument we could have. But he also really wanted to switch it to being a D20 game. Uh, mm -hmm. Was that and more from like a marketability standpoint? Absolutely. Um, he figured it would find a wider audience if it was D20. I thought that would undo the lethality of the combat system. I thought it was, well, honestly, just I hate D20. I really do. I loathe it as a system. I gave up on Dungeons & Dragons while I was still in high school and went to other role-playing games. I really didn't want it to go D20. And I didn't want the blasphemy gone. And I didn't want the adult-themed art gone. So eventually I just said, all right, well, you've bought it. I'm going to walk away while I still really enjoy the product. And uh, they took over, and they put out the D20 version, and they did a hell of a job with it. It's not to my taste, but it's quite a good product. But you walked away just to keep your own integrity of the product. Uh, that makes me sound way more noble than I am. Like I say, sp spite and peak is really more my thing. Gotcha, gotcha. So <laughs> I, I sort of threw my hands up and said, okay, it's yours now, and just walked away from it. So did you like le like legit sell the IP to them? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, like I say, he's a very good friend of mine. He has been since I was 17. I wished him nothing but well with it. It's just the vision I had for the game and the vision he had for the game was different enough that it would have just caused problems. Just a creative incompatibility. And I'd already had, you know, lost a couple friends over this. So I wasn't ready to keep doing it. Mm -hmm. It was just easier to, you know, go on about my life and find other passions I wanted to pursue. Yeah, it sounds like you kept up with what they put out, though, because it looks like they released several books for it from what I was able to find. Uh, I know of The End and the Boston Massacre Supplement. Mm -hmm. I think the others, I'm not sure if Washington came out. If it did, I did not get a copy of it. That was during a period where I was kind of away from role playing for a few years. Mm -hmm. Did you just get burnt out on it, especially after all this stuff? A little bit, but also I'd gone back to grad school because I finally decided to get out of the various dead-end jobs I'd had and uh, actually pursue another passion, which was to become a teacher. Which is what you're doing now. Yeah, uh, 20 years now. Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah, a friend of mine, a really good friend of mine, I, I went to journalism school, and uh, we all just sort of took bets with, with each other how long we were going to stay in journalism. And uh, he was a sports anchor on television until he just got burned out on it. Now he's a teacher. He teaches uh, high school social studies and history. And he's like, this is the greatest thing I've ever done with my life. I'm so happy I made this change. <laughs> I'll tell my students when they say, what's the worst job you ever had? I said this one. 
<laughs> What's the best job you ever had? This one. Uh, well, teaching is both wonderful and terrible in equal measure. Mm -hmm. um, though I do have to say, I did have a couple of fun experiences when I first started teaching, and some of my students found out about the end. Really? And went hunting for it and information about it. Were they more successful than I was? Yeah, yeah, they were. <laughs> um, I had a student who had found a copy in a discontinued games bin at her local uh, hobby store and brought it in and showed it to the class. Oh, my gosh. Complete with the art in featuring nudity and the, yeah, that was awkward. <laughs> <laughs> Not nearly as awkward, though, as one of my absolute favorite students. Um, my second year teaching, found out about it and went and found an, a review of the game on RPGNet, which was effusive and really kind of profane. Mm -hmm. And she read it to the class. Oh, my God. During class. Oh, gosh. Um, I tell you about this review, but I worry that it would break your PG-13 rating. <laughs> <laughs> If anybody wants to read it, you can probably seek it out somewhere because nothing ever dies on the Internet. Well, I've not been able to find this one again, so <laughs> they might not be able to. I was going to say they might have taken that one down. <laughs> well, yeah. I'll, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you the story. Okay. And you can bleep what you need to if it happens. Okay. Um, she had found a review written by a fan who had praised it for being... Uh, really groundbreaking and different. And the culmination of the review was that this game was so good that the creator, and then of course he actually used my full name, deserves to be, and here's the quote from the article, at will by in hip hop garb. Josh, that's one long bleep you're going to have to put in there. That's a, that's, wow. Like, you, you started talking and the whole sentence just required cutting out. So she read this just out, like, in front of everybody? Out loud oh, to God. the class. Because it was a journalism class and she'd gone digging about me. And she was a very good researcher. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, this so awkward. At this point, is your is the pit in your stomach just getting deeper and deeper and wondering when school administration is going to be involved? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I was already in trouble with school administration on a regular basis because I was the newspaper coordinator. Mm -hmm. And that's a job that just begs to be in trouble with administration. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, she never told anybody about that. And oh, neither did the rest God. of my journalism class. It was just a private mortification for me for an hour. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, tell me about it. I'm just, I'm just imagining myself in your situation there. That would, oh, God, that would be so terrifying. Yeah, and, I, I can't imagine being in those shoes. And I'm sitting at my desk with my head in my hands like, I wrote a column for my local newspaper for two years. You couldn't find those. No, no, <laughs> you had to find this one. <laughs> That's next level journalism right there. Yeah. <laughs> that's, going, that's going the extra mile. <laughs> or she's oh. earning that internship. <laughs> I was going to say, she's really going to be a scoop reporter going forward. <laughs> oh. All right. So uh, where do you go from that story? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I really don't know. Um, well, uh, let's one, go let's ahead, talk Josh. a little bit about uh, once you broke off from Tyranny Games, I can't imagine that you immediately were like, okay, well, time to do other things. Did you, or was it was it really immediately? Like, did you try to float something else and then you were like, actually, wait, I remember how much work this was in the first place. Well, I gotta say, really, I understand you, you're wondering if I kept in role-playing, and I didn't so much. I kept in writing. Mm -hmm. That was okay. always more my passion. I wanted to find a way to write for a living. So after scapegoat was done like i say i went to work for my local newspaper i wrote an op-ed column for a couple of years i published some poetry i did some freelance work and then i started teaching writing to students and doing writing workshops so that was really my outlet for my creativity 
the only way I really kept in contact with the industry is my personal role-playing group uh, was included Greg Stolze. I'm not sure if you know his work. No, that name doesn't sound familiar to me. Uh, he was one of the main writers on Unknown Armies. He's one of the main writers on Rain. He published, I don't even know how many novels that are adjacent to the gaming industry. So I might actually have playtester credits in a couple of those games. That's awesome. But that's really what I did with the gaming industry. After that, I just was focusing on trying to get writing published. I worked on a couple novels. That makes sense, because I remember when I was doing some initial research, I did find like one reference to you as doing some playtesting somewhere. So it must have been one of his books. It was probably either Unknown Armies or Rain. Those are the ones, both those games we ran for more than a year each mm -hmm. with our group. But that was really all I did in the role-playing industry after passing off the end of Tyrannies. Because it was more about storytelling for you than anything. Yeah, I, for example, I never had any interest in the system. I never had interest in writing the adventures. I liked writing the world. I liked world-building. Mm -hmm. That was always my jam. That's the most fun part for me, too. And like I say, once it got into the nuts and bolts of, you know, the later chapters, there's a reason why the writing suffers in the systems chapter, mm -hmm. <laughs> because I had to grind that out. Yeah, yeah. it becomes a job at that point. You just wake up and you're like, well, I got to do this today. <laughs> yeah, and I really didn't do it justice. Shane designed a very elegant system. And because I didn't care, I didn't write it well. Something which I fixed in the second edition, but also ended up in the scrap heap when uh, Tyranny took the game to D20. Right. It makes sense. Thinking about it, initially when you were talking about the project, you were saying that you weren't as much into the design elements of the gaming as much as you were the story elements of the gaming. And so, of course, when you have the opportunity to have an out, you go more into writing than, in, than back into game design. Absolutely. And... If I have to be completely honest, the other part that was very frustrating and made me happy to leave role-playing kind of behind was the business side. I liked selling. I liked coming up with ways to convince people to take me seriously. I liked courting controversy. But my God, I hated the calls from the hobby <laughs> shops. I had a game that was, like I say, full of nudity, full of profanity, full of blasphemy and heresy. So I shipped it shrink-wrapped. I took the time and made sure it was sealed. And I had to take calls about every other day from hobby stores like, well, oh, I can't sell this. There are bare breasts in it. <laughs> I forget. I, I got to the point where it was just like, I'm calling about page blank. Actually, I could probably find it here. Uh, yeah, page 50. Page 50. And I had hobby stores. I can't sell that. You know, what if kids see that? Well, oh, I, yep. I, yep. Just open to page 50. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yep. I, yep. <laughs> I had it shrink wrap so that kids in your store wouldn't just open to it. Well, I cut the shrink wrap off. Well, well that's your fault. <laughs> fault is that? I just thought of something as we were talking about mm -hmm. um, the, uh, you know, having the money to produce something. Do you think if you were do if you were doing this for the first time, like today, you would be taking advantage of crowdfunding. And do you think that would have like really helped keep things going? Oh, absolutely. What's more, um, I'm still in close contact with all the people involved. And there really hasn't been a real long time where someone in that group hasn't said, why don't we bring it back? Why don't we kickstart it? Why don't we do something new with it? And the temptation is there. Um, I don't know if I will dive back into that well, but it does sound fun sometimes. I am very envious of the people who are coming up during the age of Kickstarter. I was, I was going to say, it almost sounds like your ideal, if you were to get back into game writing, your mm -hmm. ideal scenario would be to jump into a studio where they need a visionary writer to create a world for them to design their game around. And then they handle the business aspects, they handle writing the actual game design, they get the artists to come in and all of that. And all you have to do is write and then 
take checks to the bank. That would be lovely. <laughs> the, the Ed Greenwood of somebody else's Forgotten Realms. Yeah, basically. I'd said that the way I would ever get back into this is kind of a la the Kickstarter model, where I'll create a book, I'll put it up there and say, once I'm paid this much money, I will let this out into the world. And then, you know, if I want, I'll do it again. I don't want to have to sell to distributors and find all the, you know, vendors and that sort of thing. I just want to sell it directly to people. Because like I say, the, the calls from the hobby stores asking for special versions or we don't like this picture on page 50. You, you skip the uh, picture and a few pages after that of someone shooting up. You skip the... Uh, nudity at the end well i just turned to this picture and that's enough for me to call you i don't want to ever field one of those calls again yeah i don't blame you for that like just uh, outraged for the sake of feeling like somebody needs to be outraged so if you i mean if you did try to start up something again via crowdfunding i guess like does tierney own just the complete ip history of the end like is first edition their property Actually, I don't know. We started talking about that after I found out about your last podcast. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and and his, res his response was, you should do something with it. You know, he'd like to be involved even. Oh, well, that's cool. Yeah, I mean, I think you should do something with it. I had a, an idea for what I would do if I, re if I want to do something else in the world at the end, and that would be bringing it up into the current day, where mm -hmm. I think it would be far more a satire than a philosophical ex experiment that's kind of something i thought about when you were talking earlier about um the people generating the people within the world generating sort of new religious movements after god goes away just because they refuse to accept the reality right in front of them and i'm just sort of looking around me at the world today of people refusing to accept the reality of the world in front of them and how that just sort of leans in a little bit to what you're talking about. Oh man, 2019 to 2021 has felt like the first couple chapters of the end anyway. Yeah. So, <laughs> I don't think it'd be that hard to uh, adapt our world directly into a new version. And uh, I hate it when I have ideas like this because I'm going to do something with it sooner or later. Yeah, for a while there, I was checking the news every day, just looking for new seals that were broken. <laughs> Every time they say they put up an article where it's like, oh, ancient tomb uncovered and mummy remains found or 4000 year old board game found and researchers are trying to figure out how to play it. I'm like, no, not <laughs> right now. This is not a time to be tempting fate. Yeah, that, but yeah, that would be that would be interesting um, doing a modern update of it and and releasing it. I think that would be really cool. I think it would be a successful crowdfunding thing, too. Well. I'd have to learn something about crowdfunding. One of the reasons you had so much trouble finding me is I'm not a huge social media person. Mm -hmm. um, actually, you sent me the Facebook Messenger to see if I'd be interested in this. Yeah. And I just hadn't looked at my Facebook Messenger app in three or four months. I'm just, you know, in my 50s and don't have time for keeping up with social media as much so i'd have to learn something about kickstarter yeah i kind of thought that maybe maybe this is a guy that just doesn't check facebook all that much because i don't check mine all that much either unless you know my phone pings me and pushes a message to it you know the reason i was relatively confident that it was you is because i found the page and then i looked at your friends and i found people whose names were listed in the credits of the book i'm like this is either the guy or it's a tremendous coincidence <laughs> no i've stayed uh stayed friends with most of the people who are in the credits page, even after, you know, 25 years. Uh, I, have a, I, I have a question. Um, uh, this is not necessarily related to what we were just talking about, but it, mm -hmm. I've, I've had this written down for a little while that we've been talking. But you talked about uh, Matt Jones, who was your art director mm -hmm. on the first one. And I guess he handled hiring all the artists and everything. He did. He actually found most of my artists. Okay. When he came on, I had really only recruited um steve brown who is my cousin's husband so that was an easy find mm -hmm. and i had found mark ludina who did more pieces than anyone else in the book by posting a sign at a local borders looking for artists really yeah but i had basically those two and when matt came on he found pretty much everybody else 
he was fantastic that way. Yeah, I think, you know, you probably know this from listening to the last one, but Josh and I were kind of amazed to see Richard Kane Ferguson as the cover artist there because, you know, even back then he was, wasn't he like basically designing Magic the Gathering art? Oh, yeah. All right. Here's a story that will not make me look good. Okay. Uh-oh. <laughs> so, as I told you, when I had my falling out with Shane, he said the book wouldn't look good. No one would want it. It wouldn't sell. And I was, like I say, motivated by spite. Richard Kane Ferguson was Shane's favorite artist. Mm-hmm. And he had just done a lot of work for Magic. Um, I guess that would be Legends. And Shane was completely nutso for him. But by this point, he had already left. We'd already split up. So as motivated by spite as I was, I hired his favorite artist to do the cover. (laughs) Um, And uh, Richard Kane Ferguson is a lovely human being. I contacted him. He said, yes, I sent him a couple chapters and I told him he could do whatever he wanted for the cover. And he sent me the one, well, you've seen it. Though that was not without controversy because the original version, uh, he told me that the character on the cover was his imagination of the Horseman War. I can see that now that you've said it. And when he sent me the first uh, draft of the picture, actually, he he doesn't need to do drafts. He's Richard Kane Ferguson. He does art and you say thank you. (laughs) The problem was the character had a swastika on his forehead. Oof. And I'm like, okay, I'm doing a lot of stuff in this book that are that is questionable, but that's just a step too far. Was he doing it because of like the the more ancient religious connections of the swastika? No, he said that this was the most hateful symbol of destruction of humanity that he could possibly think of. This gotcha. was totally fitting for the character and I'm like, yeah, I can't put it on the cover. I can't do it. I can't do it. And he made a very impassioned speech about why it was the perfect symbol for his piece of art. And he talked for a good 10, 15 minutes. He was beautiful. He was eloquent. And I just said, okay, well, tell me how you're going to write all that on the cover. And he said, send it back and I'll change it. (laughs) I mean, he, he was a wonderful, wonderful human being. And I really loved working with him. Uh, We also worked with, uh, William J. O'Connor. He did art for our judges screen. Mm-hmm. The the professionals I heard from the industry, I had nothing but the highest respect for. But the cover, yeah, really wasn't me acting out uh, and being a little spiteful. And I do, I am still embarrassed about that a little bit. Uh, Not the I cover. Mean, cover yeah. looks great. Yeah. Well, like you said, you were, you know, you were young. You were in your twenties. Mm-hmm. Um, I think all of us get a pass on that kind of thing. Uh, when we're when we're younger and a little less emotionally mature and the cover does look great like it looks fantastic i think the thing i told josh when i first saw it was like this really feels like planescape art like from the from some of the books from planescape and you know it's sort of tangentially connected since somebody who does art for magic the gathering was the one who did it so that that was just really interesting to me yeah i i do in i had enjoyed working with a couple of artists one of my favorite game industry stories was the Gen Con season where we were actually allowed into Gen Con and we were selling. Our production schedule had another book we were calling The Dark Arts. And the artist Brom, are you familiar with his work? No. Uh, He did all the art for Dark Sun for TSR. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. Apparently he was involved in some sort of legal action he was working on dark ages for another company. And I think it was wizards at that time said they didn't want him working on dark ages when he was working on dark sun. So he was going around to every company that had a product with dark in the title. (laughs) And he found out we were doing something called the dark arts. He walked over and offered to do the cover for free. Uh, Just to be funny. Uh, That's amazing. He said we didn't bring that book out. You're talking about you being motivated by spite. (laughs) There's a reason why I really liked him. (laughs) We were kindred spirits there. That's fascinating. You know, I had, I had never seen the um, judges screen. Uh, Was it uh, like a standard trifold? 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it was an easy first product to put out. I'm sure, like us, most companies put one out just to show they're not going to put out just one book and be done. Right. It's another way to remind people that, you know, this is going to be a product line. And it's nice because when you release the screen, a lot more people will buy the game because they take it more seriously. Mm -hmm. But it was, unfortunately, it was the only product we got out before, like I say, I had my diagnosis. Right. Yeah, I'd like to get a copy of that at some point, just if nothing else, to see the art on it now that you've, now that you've told that story. You know, I actually managed to preserve a case of the book and the screen. It's actually in my garage right now. I feel like I'll send you a co both a copy. That would be amazing. That would be uh, and phenomenal. Very, and very generous of you. Is it cool if we like email you an address? Sure. Okay, cool. They're still in the original shrink wrap too. Oh, my oh God. wow. That's fantastic. Hey, if you want, you can take it out of the shrink wrap and sign it. I'd be happy to. <laughs> that would be cool. Yeah, that would be great. <laughs> um, I think I think in all fairness, you've been talking about how all of this talking about doing game design and things like that has got your brain clicking in ways it probably hasn't for many years. Uh, if yeah. you end up doing something other than noodling, which there's nothing wrong with noodling, uh, if you end up deciding to do something, I think, and Brandon, this might be bold of me to assume, but I think we'd be happy to have you back on to talk about it. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The real question is, I, I even wonder if in this world, something like this would even break through. It's so much harder to be scandalous now. True. Yeah. You might have to call Richard Kane Ferguson and get that swastika back. <laughs> no, I'm worried I'd have the, exactly the wrong customers if I did that. Oh, That's no. true. That's true. Uh, but yeah, it, I mean, it's harder to it's it's harder to be scandalous because everybody's jaded and just everything is just out there. And also, it's just harder to break through in game in the gaming industry now. Anyway, like regardless of the quality of product or how scandalous you're being, that's why you know crowdfunding is so appealing. I think because you set your crowdfunding goal to at the very least make back your cost, mm -hmm. so you don't lose anything on it, and then you know, if nothing happens, you're not really out anything but your time and effort. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, actually, that makes me think of uh, you wondering if I thought it would have broken through more if it had come out, say, around the time Walking Dead. Right, just because of the thematic parallels? Yeah, um, I was thinking about that a lot since I heard your first podcast, and I'm I'm wondering how it would do now. I think, like I say, it's harder to draw attention. And you're right, the satanic panic and all the fear about role-playing games feels like it's a lot more distant in the past. I think it'd be very hard to draw a new crowd with the end in the mid-2000s. Mm -hmm. But back then, you know, with the when we put it out in 95, the millennium was coming up. So there were enough people thinking about the end of the world. I'm not sure how... I'm not sure how a lot of properties that I love that came out in the 90s would fare now. Though I was encouraged by uh, a couple games like Cult making a, re a return. Mm -hmm. That was actually a huge inspiration for me because it was one of the first really adult games I'd seen. So maybe it maybe it would be a good time to crowdfund something like this. Yeah. Do you Do you think you would have to turn it up to 11, though, just to at the very least get a little more attention on it? See, the funny thing is the the thing that I find most inspiring right now is I could probably do the entire end of the world chapter using actual news articles from the real world. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think you could probably make a good case for the seals being broken, you know, right on CNN every night. Yeah, I mean, you know, 2020, we had pestilence and yep. it's going on today. We've got a looming climate apocalypse. We've got a couple candidates for Antichrist running around. I mean, really, it wouldn't be that hard. It's the closest we've been to war with Russia since, what, the 60s? Yeah, probably. So, uh, damn it, you guys are making me think about something <laughs> that I haven't thought about in a while. And, you know, we're enablers. 
that's, karmically that's... you'll pay for that someday <laughs> yeah no that would that would be an interesting twist on it though if you wanted to develop it kind of make it more like real world parallel um, oh yeah it would be a satire more than it would be horror and i i think that would be delightful to read um and i think it's the kind of thing that could get a little bit of attention in in the right in the right theaters uh, it would certainly piss a lot of people off Yes, and that's kind of what you want to do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, actually, I, I'd really like to talk about this before we end. Um, Go for it. The thing that I found really, really shocking about the whole thing is the entire premise of the game. And the thing that got us banned from Gen Con in the first place was the line, the meek shall inherit the earth, poor bastards. Mm-hmm. That had always bothered me even when I was a religious person because I had no idea what it meant. The meek shall inherit the earth. All of Christianity is built around this idea that you're really interested in the next life and this life is not important. So when I decided that was a threat and made that into the heresy that the whole game was built on, I expected people to have a problem with that. And no one ever did except the one lady at Gen Con who said, if that line wasn't on there, you could stay, but because that line's on there, we have to kick you out. The thing everyone was galled about was nudity or bad language. And that always sort of uh, bothered me, especially because we did get booted from Gen Con for just that one line. Well, and especially when you've got very like heavy saturation of violence and things that are decidedly more immoral than nudity, such as, I don't know, slavery. Yeah. Demonic. We, we have actual demonic possession. We had drug use. We had sexual assault. We had, I mean, it was an adult game. And I was always amazed that the religious elements weren't the things that were getting us in trouble. Almost never. That's so funny to me I, that, that, you know, I'm trying to figure out the best way to word this. So I'm rambling, but like people want, people are jonesing to be offended so they can exercise their righteous indignation. So they'll pick the lowest hanging fruit to be indignant about, but it doesn't matter if the fruit that's higher up on the tree might offend them more. You know, this is what we can see without having to dig into it too much. I think that's what irritates me because if somebody takes the time to really dig in and educate themselves about something that I'm working on, if something that I've done offends them at that point, then that's fair because they've put in the time to really sort of get to know the product or the work. But if you're looking at it just based on a log line or some art without really internalizing the content, then, you know, get out of here. I don't, I don't really care about your opinion because it's an uninformed opinion. Well, I think there's also something to be said for puritanically speaking, the U.S. at large cares a lot less about people getting decapitated and blood spewing everywhere than they do about someone being topless. Yeah, and it, it is sort of our weird puritanical heritage. <laughs> never had a problem with a church group. Never had anyone write to me and say they were offended by the religious implications. It was always about boobs. Well, I think <laughs> on a certain level, I almost feel like you set yourself up well in that side of things because your book was marked, oh, this is for mature audiences and there's a lot of like heavy topics and things like that. You might have seen more of that if you had released your Gideon Bible version. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I think the church groups were like, oh, well, this clearly is not something like I'm a good God-fearing Christian. I shouldn't be looking at things like this. Just looking at this will damn me to an eternity in hell. <laughs> <laughs> but come on. They always seem to know this thing is out there, so they must be looking at it. <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> See, um, I like to put my thumb in powerful people's eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Josh, do you have any kind of wrap-up questions of stuff that's on your list that we weren't able to get to? Um, you know, I, there's something like right on the tip of my tongue that I want to ask, and I haven't yet, and I... Now that you've asked me, of course, it has immediately gone from my mind. Um, 
if you have something that'll give me a second to collect my thoughts. Yeah, no, I don't. But I wanted to sort of just give Joe the floor uh, a little bit just as we're winding down to just sort of unburden himself in any ways that he needs to and to just talk about what he might try to get into next. I know we've sort of talked about it a little bit. Maybe maybe we're, you know, lighting some kindling in his brain to get something moving. But what what do you think? What do you think, Joe? Do you think there's a chance that you might try to get back into it? I don't know. Um, your interest has been really kind of inspiring, but it's happened that about every year I'll get someone who will track me down through Facebook or who will send me a link to a discussion on RPG net where people are talking about the end. And it always gives me a little tickle that I should pr try to return to this. I don't know if I will, I'd like to, but I also know that my job now is not the dead end job I had when I was consumed by this project. Right. Um, I like teaching. So I don't see myself ever throwing myself into running a business based around this again. Mm -hmm. But it, it is a first creation. Your first creation is always special in your heart. And I would love to do something with this at some point. I'm just not sure what it would be. Well, you sounds like you've got some time to think about it. And, well, you know, maybe it could take even a different form than sort of a traditional tabletop role-playing game. I don't know what that would look like either, but it might be interesting to explore maybe some different forms or formats that it could be in. Yeah, I mean, people have talked about novelizations and things like that, but I would, I'd be reticent to put it into a fully different kind of format. Mm -hmm. I think I conceived of it as a game, and that's really how it'll always be in my mind. Yeah, and that's fair. Um, because you, you transmute it into something else. It's like translating something from one language to another. It always loses something, no matter mm -hmm. how close to the source material you're trying to make it. So I can, I can get where you're coming from on that. Like, it's a game, and by God, it's going to be a game. One thing I'll ask you, I think I know, I know the answer to this, I'm pretty sure, but we promised one of our listeners that we would ask. So um, was like when you saw my Facebook message, was that like the first time you saw that we had been talking about this? And then you went and sort of went back and listened to it and everything? Yeah, actually, I saw your Facebook message. I showed it to my wife. She always thinks it's funny when people get in contact with me about the end. Uh, and I immediately went over to the Goblins and Growlers podcast, and I found that I you had just dropped the episode. It was like two days later you sent me that message, <laughs> and I texted Josh. I was like, damn it! Yeah, you released it on the 10th. I found that fa Facebook message on the 12th. <laughs> and I immediately went over and I listened to it, and I was on, still on Christmas break. And so my wife was at work and I listened to it and I called her immediately and said, you've got to hear this. <laughs> and she said, okay. And she, honey, these two buffoons are making me up to be this really mysterious guy. <laughs> well, she turned it on and she's tweeting at, or uh, texting me at every point where she and her coworkers are just busting out laughing. <laughs> she says, yeah, she comes home that night and I'm chilling on the couch watching uh, The Expanse in my sweatpants. And she's like, you're the international man of mystery, huh? You're the one on the serial killer board. Like, but yeah, when I, you responded, I just took a screen cap. I was at work and I took a screen cap on my phone and sent it to Josh with just the entire contents of my message with three exclamation points. <laughs> yeah, it was just, it was like I say, just bad timing. Um, I don't really look at, windows messenger very often if you had sent that same thing as a facebook post mm -hmm. i would have seen it probably the same day you sent it <laughs> but i just never look at messenger that's Kinda fair like, i have a twitter account i never look at my twitter account so that's another one where it would have just languished yeah i actually found your twitter account and i was like it doesn't look like he uses this so i'm not going to message him there yeah i haven't looked at my twitter account in years yeah. I have a LinkedIn that I haven't looked at in at least a decade. I, I'm very weird about social media. Mm -hmm. um, that's that's yeah. fair. It was just blind luck that you picked one of the ones I don't look at. Um, <laughs> but I got to say, I'm really glad you did because that first episode where I'm this mysterious figure, everyone who's listened to it has just told me how hilarious it is. <laughs> There's nothing mysterious about me to any of my friends. So they thought that was just the most 
absurd and wonderful thing. At the very least, you know, we got this because we were able to record that without your input. We got a trilogy out of this. So we now have the Joe Donka trilogy of episodes. Hell yeah. <laughs> I I have to say we were so excited not only to be like, okay, this is definitely the right person. We've definitely contacted the right person, but then to have you reach back out and not immediately be like, yes, that is me, but also please leave me alone. I put this behind me many years ago. I'm happy with my life now. Good day. <laughs> I said good day, sir. Well, to be fair, I did put this behind me many years ago. I am happy with my life now. But, you know, it's something you create. You want to know that people are still appreciating it years later, that it hasn't disappeared into the ether, never to be seen again. It's kind of lovely to revisit that part of yourself, even if I was kind of a occasionally awful human being back then. Well, Joe, I, re I really appreciate you coming on and just sort of being honest warts and all about the whole situation. I think that's I think that's really cool. You're just like, yeah, this is going to make me look bad, but here you go. Yeah, if I didn't say that, I'm pretty sure you'd get texts from my friends who are going <laughs> to hear this and say, let me come out and tell you the real story about that son of a, you know. <laughs> then we become the Joe Donka podcast and we can be serialized. <laughs> Josh, the you were going to say something. Joe Donka. No, I, I realized as you were talking about um, kind of the things, the things that you did that were less than great when you were younger, it occurred to me exactly what my question was going to be, which was um, for people who are just now jumping into things like game design, what are some things that you wish someone who had had a little more experience than you had told you starting out? All right. Well, number one, it is expensive to get started. If you are going to see a product go from idea to production to sales, you got to be prepared. You cannot do it on a shoestring budget. I got very lucky in that we did sell well, so it survived a lot longer, but I was on a shoestring for a long time. It made things a little miserable. Look to your friends. I had a lot of uh, good friends who were happy to pitch in, uh, who did some amazing things for me. My friend James was not a game developer at all, but he became my uh, convention master. My best friend didn't get involved in the game at all, but he went with me to the various trade shows and was my trade show partner to sort of keep my spirits up. Your friends are actually fantastic resources. But also be careful that your concept isn't going to ruin your friendships. That's a really hard, a really easy thing to let it do. So don't let it happen to you. I've definitely heard the phrase, include your friends, don't use your friends. Uh, that is a good phrase. Uh, the other one I, I heard a lot when I first got into the gaming industry was the rhetorical question, do you know how to make a small fortune in gaming? Start with a large fortune. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> uh, well, Joe, thanks for setting aside two hours on this Saturday for us uh, to chat about all this. You have no idea how thrilled this has made Josh and I that we actually set a goal and accomplished it of talking to you on this uh, and getting sort of the unadulterated story of the end and scapegoat and everything uh this this is great this is great we really appreciate your time today yeah you've been a magnificent guest we can't thank you enough for coming on the show and giving us not only the uh pleasant details about your history but the not so pleasant details because i think a lot of like interviews tend to miss the more nitty-gritty of things like game design and it paints a much cleaner picture than reality ever is I'll never be one to share a happy story with the world. <laughs> Put that on your tombstone. Oh, no. <laughs> um, so hopefully, Joe, you know, in the in the coming months and years, we'll hear a little bit more from you and your and your hopeful crowdfunding effort of uh, bringing back the end or something like it. Um, I would really look forward to seeing that. Um, but you're always welcome back here to pitch and shill anything you want to. Bring your sandwich boards to us and we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll parade them around. I'm a want. little old for that these days. Thank you. <laughs>
Is is there anything that you would like to pitch or shill that maybe a friend of yours is doing right now that you would like our audience to be checking out? Honestly, I don't really have anyone in the industry anymore than other than Greg Stolze, and he pitches and shills himself so well. <laughs> he does just fine. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I want to say thank you. This has been a rough month, and it was nothing but a treat coming on here, and I've been looking forward to this for quite some time so thank you very much for having me oh thank you thank you so much for thank you so much for coming and thanks so much to our audience for putting up with our sort of manufactured mystery uh, <laughs> and, and coming back to listen to the payoff um thanks so much for listening and we'll be back next time uh, i'm brandon at way of brandalore on twitter i'm josh at black cloak dm on twitter all right we'll talk to you all next time have a great day bye-bye bye y'all Hey, thanks for listening, and we hope you really enjoyed that. Like I said in the episode, it was so thrilling for Josh and I to be able to set a goal for interviewing Joe and actually be able to follow through with it. It really, to me, represents an evolution of our maturity as podcasters, so I'm excited about that. If you like what we're doing here and you would like to see us do more, as always, you can hop over to patreon.com slash goblinsgrowlers and support us that way, or, and this is a much cheaper but equally effective option, you can tell everyone you know about this podcast and give us five-star reviews. Regardless, uh, we really want to hear what you all think, so please reach out to us and let us know what kinds of things you want us to talk about. Uh, and before we sign off, one little bit of news I want to pass along. You might remember a few weeks ago, Josh and I talked about Push, a new rules light RPG system from Cesar Capacle, a designer we've had on the show before. I've been playing around with the system a little, and I really enjoy it because I'm coming around to the mentality of rules light systems. Anyway, Cesar is hosting a push game jam on itch.io. It's going to run from April 15th through May 28th. If you've never heard of these things before, basically you create a game from scratch and submit it. That's more or less it. In this case, Cesar wants folks to create games with his push system. The basic document's free, and you can download it from his itch page. I'm submitting at least one, maybe two ideas I have cooking, rattling around in my head. It's fun and doesn't cost anything to participate. You can get more information over at the jam page at itch.io slash jam slash push. That's itch.io slash jam slash push. As always, you can find me at Way of Brandalore on Twitter and Instagram, and you can find Josh at Black Cloak DM on Twitter. Also give at Quid Roll and at Goblins Growlers a Twitter follow if you haven't already. Everyone have a great day. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for telling your friends. Just Thanks for being there, and thanks for being you.